Welcome to the Humans of HR, a community and a podcast about HR and the world of work. Sharing conversations, interviews and news to keep you informed and entertained. We're not afraid to ask the questions or go where others won't go. We're real people having real conversations about real topics. No hidden agendas, no cash for comment. We believe the future of work is now. We are the Humans of HR. You ready? Let's Let's do do this. Welcome to another episode of the Humans of HR. My name's David Gazzarotto. I'm coming at you from Warramudigal land here in the heart of Sydney. And uh, it's great to be back, actually. It's fantastic to be back uh, on the airwaves again. We haven't done one for a little while, so uh, good, to, good to have you listening to us again. Uh, we um, have a fantastic guest to speak to today. Uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that is Becoming dearer and dearer to my heart, we're going to be talking about all things to do with retirement and in particular how to go about that in a, in a more effective way. And, and joining me on the podcast today to talk about that is a good buddy of mine um, and, a, and, a, and a great leadership consultant uh, that I've known for a lot of years. Welcome, Nick. Nick Friedman. Thanks very much, Dave. Great to be here. Yeah, awesome to have you. Um, so, Nick, I know you reasonably well, and you know we've been able to intersect a lot over oh, at least a decade now, maybe longer. Um, and so, yeah. always, uh, always enjoy our conversations. Um, you know, uh, I love the impact that you've made in a number of ways. Um, certainly through the, the work you've done. Um, but before we sort of jump into what you what you're up to right now, perhaps um, if you could give us a little bit of background on uh, on your story. Sure, love to. Um, here comes the two-minute resume, I suppose. Yeah. So I, I grew up and cut my teeth in the world of advertising um, on the agency side, working for agencies in um, three regions, essentially, in Yorkshire, London, and then when I moved over to Sydney just before the Olympics. And um, advertising is a pretty fierce sector. It's interesting. It's a great place to work. But by the tail end of my 20s, I'd gone through what a lot of people maybe do around their 40s, which is sort of go through a first burnout. And so um, looking inwards and doing some sort of self-development work, I defined my purpose, which was to become a coach. And so that was um, 2004, I think. Uh, yeah, so essentially trained as a coach and a leadership facilitator, set up a business. And then for close to two decades, I've been building and teaching a wide range of programs. I think I've built maybe 100 or so programs, everything from startups through to big sort of global multinationals. So, yeah, so essentially the work I've done, I would say, fits into two main categories. The first will be conscious leadership. How does an individual lead a team of people forward? And then the second would be organisational culture, uh, which has been a huge amount of fun sort of delving into that sort of collective we space and figuring out how to mm. take a big group of people and then sort of turn that into sort of five or six core values. So that's the very, very short story. Um, I think my work has touched about 10,000 lives across the sort of past two decades, which is a sort of a nice little statistic I like to throw around in terms of being of service to humanity. So amazing. I I think that sort of impact. And we do do underestimate in the work that we do, whether it's in HR, whether it's in coaching, whether it's in learning, um, we do have the ability to impact significantly on a lot of people's lives in, you know, ideally, 
um, very positive and productive ways and, and you know enriching ways. Um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of coaches out there. There are a lot of exec coaches, leadership coaches. Um, what would you say kind of uh, defines you or makes you stand up stand out a little bit from the masses that are out there? What, what is it about you that you think enables you to create the impact that you do? That's a great question. Um, I asked about 10 years ago when I was doing a rebrand, I asked a bunch of clients, what do you get out of sessions with me? Yeah. Whether it's a group or one-to-one. And there was this word that came up time and time again, and it was clarity. Yep. And so I think if we look at sort of values and how our inner world then turns into our behaviors and the impact we have, we, we've all got gifts. We've all got special areas that we sort of tap into innately. And I can't tell you what it is about me, but in terms of the way I build programs, build content, and then deliver, the feedback I get frequently is, is that, yes, my clarity has increased at the end of um, a session, be that sort of one-to-one mm-hmm. coaching or sort of group group workshop. So um, that would be, I would, you want a simple answer? It yeah, would, clarity. It would be clarity. Uh, yeah, and I think that's great. There's a couple of things for me in that. Um, and I, I've known you um, and as you really honed that clarity piece um, around a lot of the work that you're doing there. And, and it certainly really resonated with me as well. The thing, when I asked you that question, what makes you stand out? Um, humility is a big thing for me in what it, because you didn't answer it as, oh, yes, I'm an expert in this or uh, my 50 years of experience here. And, you know, it was people say that it's the clarity about it. So I, I really appreciate that too. It uh, says a lot about uh, how you roll, Nick, as well. Thanks. Well, look, enough, um, um, you know, noble gazing and reflecting on, on <laughs> um, <laughs> How did you go from the coaching and the, and the leadership work that you were, you were doing into this sort of new area that I'm now intersecting you in, which is around the whole topic of retirement? Yeah, another, another great question. So in 2019, I headed over to Europe for a sort of a big holiday. And I was looking for some kind of gig, maybe a sort of a short-term gig. I could sort of land in London or something. And in, in my communication over with Europe, um, an old client of mine, a lady called Linda Mayer, who was OD, uh, head of OD at Coke, um, and maybe about 15 years ago in Australia, was working for a large global paint company in, in Europe. Mm. And rang her up, had a chat with her and said, got any work? And she said, yeah, well, Nick, we're kind of looking to build this new kind of program. Can't find anyone in Europe to do it. Uh, been looking around. Um, we've got an aging workforce here. Um, approximately 20% of our staff are going to be retiring in the next decade. And we need a really solid program. Do you want to have a look at it? And so that conversation turned into a sort of a six-month build, lots of flights to and from Europe, meeting a whole bunch of HR leaders across Europe, you know, design thinking workshops, all the kind of good stuff that we do when we're in that sort of build phase. And in my research, I looked into the population demographics. It was one of the areas I needed to understand further. And I was like, wow, this is huge. An aging population globally around the world. It's not just sort of one country, it's it's everywhere. Um, As HR leaders, this means lots of people are going to be departing the workforce. And from the research I did, there's not a lot around. There are Mm -hmm. a couple of big players in this market, but it's not kind of widely saturated like the leadership space. So I kind of got quite interested in it. And then the more I delved into it, it seemed to be a, a, an area of 
really great interest for me. I, I think when people come to the end of their career and then they transition into retirement, it's a massive phase of life. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and without the right support, we can see all kind of challenges sort of come up. So, yeah, just decided mm. to have a pivot, built a program, built a business. And, you know, two years later, I'm, I'm out talking to people all over the world and, you know, getting some good feedback on, on what I'm up to. I yeah. Suppose. yeah, it's excellent. I mean, you, you talk about that being this sort of pivotal time uh, for people around retirement. I, I must say when you when we caught up for when we we you know, catch up spasmodically. Sometimes we uh, we get into regular cadences. We're working on things. Uh, but, you know, recently when you told me about what you're doing, I, I went, oh, wow, that's that's kind of potentially me. You know, I turned 50. I'm going to turn 53 in a month, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> right, no one listens to this apart from my mum and she knows that already. Um, but, yeah, you know, I went, oh, man, yeah, retirement, hey? Um, I don't really want to think about it. But actually, I do want to think about it. I have all these kind of vision expectations of what retirement's going to be for me. But what what is the reality? And, and you know, am I actually equipping myself to transition? Probably not. I mean, I've got a super fund, but yeah. So uh, it really resonated with me, and I know we've um, we've 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 come a bit closer and I'm, you've been unpacking some of this with me. So, um, you know, it really is a very interesting space, but, but there is this kind of, um, it's not so much a stigma. I think it's kind of like no one wants to talk about it. The, the aging workforce, the, um, the transitions uh, of, of people who are retiring. It's kind of like, yeah, here's your gold watch. Here's your, um, um, here's the golf membership. Um, knock yourself out, uh, you know, Enjoy the rest of your life. <laughs> so, you know, that we've got people exiting workforce in this manner, um, but are we doing a good job of it? And, and kind of this is, I think, where you're coming at it now. Um, but there is one key question around this. Why bother? Why actually focus on it at all? Yeah, and from an HR perspective, um, that's a really important question. Yeah. You have to explore that first of all. Um, and... There's a lot of reasons that maybe a little bit below the surface, not quite as obvious as why why invest in say a leadership development program for people in a different age of life, different stage of life. Yeah. Um, so the first and perhaps most obvious one is is institutional knowledge, whatever you want to call it. Um, as an individual reaches the tail end of their career, if they've been working since their early twenties, they've racked up approximately, and this is based on a forty hour working week, which not all of us do these days, yeah. um, but 80,000 hours of, of experience in their field. And that's a, a huge amount of It's a huge amount of wisdom. Mm. Um, so if you have a look at that and... It's and a lot of coffee. It's a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it is, without a doubt. It's a lot of coffee and it's a lot of smarts upstairs in, mm. the, in the brain. So as... These sort of people, particularly in mission critical roles and senior leadership roles, leave in larger numbers. Mm. As HR leaders, we've got to ask the question of, well, what are we losing when these people walk out the door? Yeah. It's a really important question. Yeah. It's a um, massive brain drain. I mean, we talk about the brain drain, but are we, are we just missing the obvious one here? Are we allowing them to walk out the door and just saying, there's your watch and sort of enjoy your golf, you know, your golf yeah. sessions? Or are we actually doing something about it and saying, 
we value the contribution you've made for the past four decades to your sector, to this mm-hmm. organization. And we want to make sure that um, purely from an organizational perspective, you've captured that wisdom. So that's mm-hmm. the first one. Yep. Yep. Um, the second one would be around employer branding, Dave. Um, we, we've, we've seen all kinds of changes in the last two or three years. Um, I was just reading an article on LinkedIn this morning that um, Unilever did a great test of the four-day work week yeah. in New Zealand, and they're literally going to bring it over to Australia. So mm-hmm. here we've got a global multinational leading the way with a, a new initiative. Um, we probably don't need to diversify too much in this talk because uh, there's all kinds of stuff on uh, mm. floating around about the importance of employer branding these days. Yes. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a tight labour market. Yeah. Um, organizations, HR leaders clearly want the best talent within their organization and not their competitors. Um, and so it's relatively simple. Mm-hmm. Look after your people. Um, they'll speak highly of you, your, you know, your brand. Mm-hmm. And you've got a good story to take to the, mm-hmm. the recruitment marketplace. So um, if you look after people at every single stage, from your grads coming in from university to your emerging leaders, your middleweight leaders, yeah. Why stop? Yeah. Why stop at the tail end? Why not also look after mm. those people? And then yeah. as they depart, they say, Do you know what? This organization really looked after me. Yeah. Um, and I've got I haven't got any bad things to say about them. You know what's interesting about that? Um, yeah. for me. Um, you know, in our parents' generations or generations past, we had, you kind of had a job for life, or at least you worked for a company all your life. And so there there probably was this sense of paternalism or however you want to describe it through that life cycle and i think maybe retiring people who've worked for 30 years 40 years in the same organization perhaps they did have a uh, you know a, a, a better support um, this is total speculation you have all the, the data and the stats to either refute that or support it but where i'm going is do you think we play a lot more there's a lot more musical chairs now in our careers absolutely than ever and there will increasingly be um, is it fair for the final employer that you work for to <laughs> to be there when the music stops and guide you safely and gracefully out the door into retirement? From my perspective, it, it's it's the right thing to do. Simple. Yep. I would absolutely agree. It's the that. right thing to do, regardless of the money and the cost yep. and the effort and all the stuff that we, is our day job. If we purely put it down to a moral, moral ethical, gosh, I sound like I'm, I'm preaching here, but I just believe it's the right thing to do, Dave, to be honest with you. Yeah. Look after people and value them at every stage of their career. So so do we add a third one? And you've probably got more on the why bothers. Um, but this is actually an ESG one. This is, you know, the, um, keep, there's, keep, there's a lot. Of... Expand. I thought I was answering, but um, you're, you're going to add in a little bit. So tell me a bit more about your perception of what you mean there, Dave, on ESG. Well, the, the S in the ESG, so the environment, social governance, that's a big, you know, uh, it's a, a big push from corporates. And uh, I think it's a, you talk about um, employer branding and employee value proposition, but ESG is kind of the good corporate citizen end. And I think what you're saying and what I really agree with is, um, we we need to be doing better at, uh, at the human side of work at all stages, and this is just one one example of where companies can step up and go, "Hey, I am going to bother, yeah, because it matters." Yes. And actually, if I do bother, I'm probably going to help in a small way or in a large way to make the world a better place. 
And if that results in reflected, you know, brand value or, you know, uh, perceived worth of what we do as a business, then then well and good, but we're doing it for a more, um, yeah, a societal reason first, I guess. Absolutely. And, and to add a, one of my favourite models of evolution in, into this part of the conversation, yeah. um, about 20 years ago, I came across a body of work called Spiral Dynamics by Don Beck, phenomenal piece of work. And it talk, it's, it's similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it mm. talks about how our values evolve through society. Mm. And the current shift that we're going through um, from a spiral dynamics perspective is from the tier of values, which is around orange, which was the, the color they gave uh, this particular strata of society, which you could call in simple terms kind of capitalism um, and growth mm. and, and the evolution of sort of you know, the whole from, from the industrial revolution onwards through to the green level, which is a lot more egalitarian. It's a lot more socially focused. It goes from an individual, it's all about me, to a collective we space. And that shift is what a large proportion of the world is going through at the moment. Mm. It's got a mm. lot of different labels. There's ESG, there's the environmental movement. Um, but I always like to call back on sort of models of psychology as, as a frame of reference. So if yeah. you like explain our evolutionary journey. So don't want to digress too much, but for anyone that's interested in human, right. human evolution, check out the body of work, yeah. spiral dynamics and look at the we'll shit. Drop, perhaps we'll drop that in the show notes and people can uh, so. yeah. click the link or I'm sure they can uh, can look you up, Nick. You're pretty uh, easy to find out there. Connect yeah. at nickfreeman.com, I, I, I think, from memory. love the plugs um (laughs) so um i might chime in with with the fourth as well if i may yeah um so the next one would be purely financial if you have been running the numbers lately and if you look at an individual i was talking to an hr director of a large non-profit the other day and he said uh nick i've literally just yesterday had someone a senior leader come in and resign uh they give me sort of classic sort of six weeks notice. Um, It's going to be a massive loss. Um, We're going to have to recruit external. Um, So I did some research into the cost of recruiting an executive. Um, Elmo LMS software that um, Mm. people will be familiar with. They've got a lovely ebook on all kinds of things. And I pulled a figure out of there, which was just under $20,000 to recruit an executive. Now, I believe from what I hear from other people, you can sometimes double that. Uh, Well, that would be, I presume that's the cost of going through a process of um, headhunting or finding and recruiting. Yeah, I think when you add all of the other costs that might be involved, including the opportunity cost or the, uh, you know, uh, the productivity cost in there, there have been research that says it's like one to 1.5 times the, the salary that person's on. Yeah. It starts to get to some big numbers, but you're absolutely spot on. It's pretty big numbers. So if, you, if, you, if we take the Elmo, I totally agree, you mm. know, one-to-one. Um, if we take the Elmo figure and then, say, apply that to an organisation with a 1,000 staff, yeah, 1,000 um, people, um, let's say that 20% of their workforce is over 55. That's 200 mm. people. Let's say 30% of those 200 are in mission critical roles at 60 people. And then let's multiply 60 by $20,000 and you yep. very quickly reach a pure recruitment cost of $1.2 million. Yeah. And that's... that's for an organization that has 60 people walking out the door, no succession planning in place, 
yeah. um, letting them walk out, letting all that institutional knowledge depart with them. All right, it's not every year, that's over, over a spread of sort of say five to 10 years, but that's not a small amount of money. If, you, if you're in an HR role trying to kind of claw budget for other more important areas, it's like, what mm. would that be like to have that? That money saved on recruitment. I hope there's not any recruiters listening. They'll be like, no, sure. No, no. We, we've offended the recruiters so much in the past 100 or so episodes that no, we've got none left now, unfortunately, as an audience. Um, the, long and, the long and short of it is one one of the bit can be proactive and one can be reactive. So yeah, yeah. Um, external recruitment of 60 people, a huge yeah. amount of money, 1.2 million. Yeah, it's, just a, it's, it's a cost. It's almost like it's Numbers a supply game. chain kind of it is it talks to the talent crisis itself and the fact that you know um, it's all very well to say we're going to go out there and it's going to be expensive to go and find these people yeah but, um, it's hard to find them and then when you add the layers as you described you know the the um, institutional knowledge that's lost the expertise that's lost i mean you're starting to get into an area of sourcing replacements for that caliber of human that's like it. it's like needle and haystack stuff so you know um, I think it's uh, it's a really it's a really important point that you make. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely worth doing. I believe so. I'm bothering about. Sorry. I could go on, but um, yeah. I think we we let's move on. Do you want another yeah, one? Yeah. Do you want? Oh, I, I don't think we can exhaust the why bothers. Um, but I am interested. in when you know when we chatted the other week, I was talking about you know um, the revelation for me that I'm closer to retirement or to thinking about the transition to retirement than I probably would be free to freely admit um, you've got a, a new take on retirement um, that I really I, I thought was really interesting do you want to tell us a bit about that yeah I'd, l- I'd love to so um, let's make a distinction between the, the classical perception of what retirement is and call that retirement 1.0 and then let's have an upgrade to retirement 2.0 so we can mm-hmm. sort of build a distinction between the two. If you look at some of the principles and beliefs that underpin retirement 1.0, it's relatively simple. It's work hard all of your life, save up enough money to live on. And then if you've got enough money to live on, you have a 20 to 30 year holiday for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, enjoy yourself. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that, Nick? <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with the dream, <laughs> but when we get into the reality, there's there's an awful lot of data out there that says some point between a year and two years into an individual's mm. retirement, that they sort of they become conscious of the fact that the dream was something they were sold that doesn't quite work all that well. Yeah, and if you look at the you know, the amount of time that we spend in the workplace each year is being approximately 2,000 hours. Mm. Having that being, you know, filled up with all kinds of activity, Mm. meaning and purpose and that kind of thing, and then it just becoming a void. Yeah. We can begin to understand why sort of a lot of people, there's a lot of mental health challenges in Mm. the older generation, um, a lot of challenges people face with those, those first few years of retirement. So it would appear to me that, the model of retirement 1.0, which is just a purely economical focus, mm. um, seems to be a little bit, I won't say it's flawed, but it, it's its not robust enough. Yeah. So when I was building the program three years ago, I looked at that and I went, once again, I need a body of knowledge to, to make this accessible for people. So I fell back on onto, onto our old friend Abraham Maslow and looked at his hierarchy mm. of needs. And I overlaid the hierarchy of needs 
onto the retirement experience. And if we go through them, um, this is essentially what's underpinning sort of my program called my game plan. And so level one needs is, is really about physical health. I had a lovely quote the other day that basically says the um, healthy man or woman has a thousand dreams. Yep. The unhealthy woman or man has only one dream. Yeah. And that kind of sums it up, you know. So yep. health is king. It's really important. Mm. Level, level two in, in Maslow um, in terms of sort of how that relates to retirement is really about financial security. Mm-hmm. So that is where most of the dialogue and the rhetoric and the understanding and the focus in our society is. Yeah, absolutely. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of financial planners all around the world doing yeah. great work to make sure people have got enough money to live on. I'm not suggesting you sack that off and it's irrelevant and not important. Mm. Of course it is, but it's only 20% of the story. Level three is a really big one, Dave. Um, if you look at level three and, and give it a label of relationships and community, yeah. if an individual has worked and, and basically spent a large proportion of their time in the workplace, a lot of their community is going to come from the organization they work for. Absolutely. When they leave, that's a massive void. It's huge. Mm, mm. I think I don't really like broad brushing gender because it's it's a risky place. And yeah. but if we do do that a little bit here, I think men are more at risk here than, than women for the community. I think women seem to be a lot better at building community. Um, mm. So we see a lot of mental health statistics in, in older males because... In simple terms, when this doesn't work, it turns into loneliness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Turns into loneliness. Pretty quickly, because you, you turn the tap off on it, really. You know, you walk out the door on Friday, a few celebratory drinks and, a, you know, a few COVID-safe handshakes on the way out. Um, yeah. Then Monday you go, oh, good, I'll, I'll have a sleep in. By Wednesday you're going, oh, I used to, I used to have coffee with Nick. 10 o'clock on Wednesdays, what am I going to do now? Uh, yeah, yeah, so you're absolutely right. It's um, it's and it's just, it's bleeding the obvious, but so unstated, like you know, so under not appreciated, I guess. It's huge. Mm. Um, so level four, quickly, kind of wrap this up. Level four is a re- really around sort of learning and growth, you know, self esteem. Yeah. Again, if we think about all the activity we have in this in the workplace, our KPIs, our job description, our goals yeah. that we're working on, our programs of learning that we're covering big projects that we'd like to sort of buy off and have a go at you know again if the predominance of that has been taken care of from work again it's just a huge void yeah. and then level five is having some sense of purpose but self-actualization um i've been doing purpose work for 20 years and I, I yeah. um and here's one of the interesting things dave yeah we all resonate this to, with with this to some level when we go to work we mm. have a role to play and whereas authenticity and being ourselves is getting a lot more airtime in the last sort of 10 years or so, we still have to uh, fit in with an organisation and their expectations of us. When that mm-hmm. drops away, an individual actually can say, well, who actually am I? What do I want for myself? Yeah. And so there's a very interesting shift that happens there in the concept of or in the area of helping an individual to uncover the purpose for their next phase of life where yeah. they get a lot more freedom. It's very interesting. Kind of get a huge amount more freedom. Yeah. So, retirement mm. 2.0 is really simple. It's built on Maslow, yeah. um, and 
you know, it, it's a matter of individuals stopping and thinking about all those different five tiers and levels. Now, if you build a holistic game plan for yourself, mm. the chances of some of the risks of, you know, being unhappy, lonely, miserable, feeling lack of purpose, um, they sort of start to give way and they get replaced with having, here's the word, a bit more clarity. Um, clarity, yes. Uh, it pops up every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more clarity around what it is you want to create for yourself. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's the, you know, that's retirement 2.0. Yeah, um, I'm not the only person around the world sort of banging this drum. There's uh, mm. wonderful mm. thought leaders talking about this space. Um, yeah. But yeah, it does, I, tie, in. it does tie into a lot of things that I guess are getting a lot of airplay and a lot of um, research backing as well. You know, I was even thinking, as you're saying, learning and growth is something that we get you know a lot. You know, we start from our schooling and into university and college, and then into our careers, and that learning and growth continues to happen. But you pull the plug out of that. Yeah. And, you know, they talk about Alzheimer's and other physical and, and mental um, deterioration that can occur in ageing, being staved off by continuing to learn and grow. You know, that the, that's, that's, um, there's a lot of tie-ins there. I was sort of thinking about, you know, the physical health and that learning and growth is uh, doing, doing any one of these. And I think this is the point you're making. You know, if we just focus on financial security and push put everything, you know, a bucket of, you know, um, putting our money away so we can have a long um life you know at the lifestyle level we want um but if we only live for three years after we retire it's bloody pointless isn't it right so it's huge yeah it's huge yeah, yeah. um so your uh your program your um model is called retire on purpose which stands to reason from what all you shared with us yes um without wanting to you know this is a podcast it's not a plug but um, I'm intrigued, and I'm sure the audience is, is to how do you go about, um, I guess, intersecting and supporting um, the ability for people to retire on purpose? What sort of you know uh, uh, programs have you developed, and, and how do you go about delivering them? Great, great question. So um, essentially, there's two programs. Mm. My game plan is for the individual. Uh, it's delivered mm. as either a Zoom program or online self-led learning or in-person workshops. And it focuses on the transition for the individual, yep. everything I've just talked about. Yeah. Um, they work on a range of different lessons, and each time they gain a bit of knowledge, it goes onto a big A2 mind map, and they create a game plan for the next decade. Cool. The second one is more focused on the organization, and that's called My Legacy. And that's essentially in a, a succession planning mm. uh, journey that individuals go on to aim to recruit from within mm. their successor and then mentor them over a sort of a one to two year period. Yep. And that's driven by the prospective retiree. It is. And also really working in alignment with existing practices that HR yeah. leaders have. You know, every organization has their own um, uh, processes and systems. So yeah. ideally driven by the retiree. I was talking to an HR leader the other day that said the manager has to get involved in this. So um, yeah. I think the key thing to say is it's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah. But I, I think it's great to have, I mean, that to have some involvement in that legacy is a really empowering place. And, you know, obviously, um, well, it's a resource too for the organisation. And, you know, quite often it's, un, I talked about the top of, you know, when we um, started the conversation today that quite often this is taboo. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk directly to the person about their impending retirement because we don't want to offend them. 
We don't want to, you know, make them think we're planning for a time when they're not here. Uh, but what you're describing with this uh, this component, the Maya legacy component, is that they've got a stake in it, and and that, you know, that's a that's um, there's a win-win for everyone in that in in that model. It's huge. Um, I really love the term, the quote, leave it better than you found it. Yeah. And I think that encapsulates what, you know, a legacy is all about. Yeah, that's really, really nicely put. So just picking up on something you just said, Dave, around um, the challenging nature of having these conversations. Yeah. agree more. There's a lot of fear around it. People are subconsciously aware it's a big life transition. Yeah. That comes out of the individual. It makes it hard for the HR leader to bring it up. Yeah. Um, all kinds of fair work challenges and that kind of thing. They're often very senior people with status and authority that perhaps you, you want to be deferential to as well, I guess. Absolutely. Mm. And one of the things that we do uh, to, if you like, just to simply break the ice is mm. provide some of our clients with monthly inspiring articles that can be yeah. emailed around to the 50 high plus cohort yeah. that yeah. really just start to make it more normal. And I think that's a big part of what I'm yeah. trying to do is, is to actually make it more conscious, make mm. the conversation around this phase of life more normal, more mm. okay, less scary. And it, it's, yep. it's one conversation at a time. But yeah. so, yeah, so we, we sort of aim to provide interesting thought leadership articles that can hopefully yeah. make it a little bit easier to spark up some of these conversations because it's important. It's important for the individual yeah. and the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, yeah, very, very interesting stuff, uh, Nick. But um, it's, I think we've reached uh, reached the end of our time together for today. Unfortunately, because I'm sure we could we could continue to, to delve more deeply into this. But um, I'm so grateful for you taking some time to spend with us, to unpack um, retirement 2.0 and what you're doing with retirement and purpose. Um, I really appreciate it, mate. I uh, look forward to to catching up with you again soon. Thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been been great talking to you today. No worries. We'll catch you all again soon. Okay. You've been listening to another episode of the Humans of HR podcast, powered by the team at LeapGen, and of course, by you, our fabulous Humans of HR community. Be sure to spread the word and help us build this community. Leave a rating, review, and subscribe through your favorite podcast player. And head over to our website, humansofhr.com.au, for more great content and to connect to the community. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.